Well, folks, Gomani Giadivsha, Shaw, Jerry Adams, a race after yet another eventful week. We had a visitation from our great ruler, Mr. Johnson, and uh, other pontifications from his foreign minister. And we'll see how all of that works out in the time ahead. It's uh, rather bizarre, but so is our long history of the involvement of London governments in our affairs and the unfortunate schism and division which they created and the way unionist leaders behave in a futile attempt to forever cling on to the limited power that they have. So we'll return to uh, all of that in the time ahead. But for, for now, I want to do with a couple of issues which have uh, caught my attention. One is that workers from several trade unions are involved in industrial action in the North and the public and private sector in order to get employers to increase wages and to improve conditions. And it's all trying to keep pace with uh, inflation and with the cost of living and inflation is now heading towards 10%. So current pay rates, some of them anyway, are clearly inadequate, especially when you consider the, the, the huge cost of fuel and food and energy. And some public sector or service workers have been striking since last March, and that has caused disruption to waste services, to schools, to further education colleges, to youth services, in the housing executive and on public transport. And it's inevitable that trade union action in those services can have a negative impact on those who rely on these services. And there has been a particular adverse effect on parents with children at special schools and I was pleased to see that there's at least some uh, potential space for uh, bus drivers and so on. Uh, but you know the onus is on, on employers to acknowledge the challenges facing workers and to do all within their power to ensure that they get a decent wage. So they should talk to the workers. That's just so basic. Talk to the workers, try and find a resolution to these problems. The ongoing, and it's a bit below the surface with the focus, understandably to some extent, being on what's happening in Ukraine, but the ongoing desperate conditions that people in Palestine are enduring was once more brought into all of our consciousness by the murder of a Palestinian journalist, Shireen Abu 
Akla. She was well respected. She was a Palestinian American reporter working for Al Jazeera. And she was clearly wearing uh, a visible, a very visible press vest and helmet. And she was covering uh, an attack by Israeli forces. She was in the Janine refugee camp. And she was shot in the face by a single shot from an Israeli sniper. And the second Palestinian journalist, Ali al Samudi, was wounded. Now, a video covering the minutes around Shireen's murder was widely broadcast. The Israeli authorities then published another video which they claimed showed a Palestinian fighter firing at Israeli troops. And they claimed that it was he who killed Shireen. And this claim was quickly rubbished by other media outlets. And in addition, a researcher for the Israeli Information Center for Human Rights in the Occupied Territories filmed in the locality and documented the exact locations in which the Palestinian gunman depicted in the video distributed by the Israeli army fired, as well as the exact location in which Shireen was killed. And this proves definitively that the Israeli claim is bogus. And then subsequently, in horrifying scenes, reminiscent of IUC attacks and our place in the north here, the attacks on Republican funerals during the period known as the Battle of the Funerals, brought it all back. Israeli forces raided Shireen's home during the wake and then launched a major attack on the funerals. Israeli troops viciously assaulted mourners. Some of them were carrying the coffin. There was widespread international condemnation of the assassination and the attack on the funeral. The Minister for Foreign Affairs, Simon Coveney, said no self-respecting democracy could stand over this treatment of people. And of course he's right. But Simon, no self-respecting democracy can stand back and fail to take action against such behaviour. In the week that the Palestinian people commemorate Nahba, the time when more than 700,000 Palestinian Arabs fled or were expelled from their homes as Israel declared its independence, the Irish government should now move to positively use its position, our position, on the United Nations Security Council in support of Palestinian rights. The Irish government should recognise the state of Palestine in keeping with the will of the Oireachtas. And the Irish government should stop blocking the Occupied Territories Bill which is stuck in the doll because of the government's posturing. So there are times when words do, but there are times when words are not enough. And words are not enough, Simon. Pleased to announce and to spread the gospel about the Moor Street uh, Trust campaign and the bit of a windfall for a man from 
ice burn and Connor Downs is his name and he won the iconic Mauser rifle which was generously donated by collector Pat O'Hagan and raffled by the Moore Street Preservation Trust to raise funds for its campaign. Now this historic rifle was part of the shipment smuggled into Hoth in July 1914, which armed the Irish volunteers for the 1916 Rising. And the raffle raised over 12,000 euros and will be used to help save the Murph Street battlefield site from destruction by a London-based developer. Michael McDonagh, Secretary of the Trust, and Prunches O'Rahala, grandson of the O'Rahala, presented the rifle to Connor Downs. Now, the O'Rahala was the person who famously said, because he was against the regime when it came with the conflict of orders from MacNeil and so on, I have wound the clock, so now I must see it strike. And he went and... Uh, he had helped to organise the, the gun raising, the gun running in 1914, and he was killed in Moore Street in 1916. He was leading a charge of volunteers against the British Army. And it was fitting, I think, that he, he was there to present Mr. Downs with his prize. So, Buehista Nadini, thanks to all the people who bought tickets, who supported the draw, the, the decision by the planners to accept the developer's proposal and the refusal of an oral hearing by on board Planala mean that the battle to save Moore Street is set to significantly increase in the months ahead. And the Moore Street Preservation Trust is determined to oppose the developer, Hammersons is the name, and if necessary, take the case to court. So this will be an expensive process and I would once again appeal to you all for your support for this worthy cause and your help to the Moore Street Preservation Trust and their details can be found on their uh, Twitter account or on their Facebook account. So I record these podcasts on a Friday and by the time you hear it on a, a Sunday the big march La Jarag the big march organised by that wonderful group group and Ram Jarag will have happened on Saturday that's tomorrow and you know, it's really positive. The last one of these marches was wonderful, just full of crack and joy and fun and colour and lots and lots and lots and lots of uh, young people. And every day I learn a little bit more Irish. Just even one word, two words every day. And there is a great joy in being able to speak and to read Irish and to write a wee bit. I was up at the Fela Nicligany Gorma 
uh, festival in the Upper Springfield area. Uh, the other evening, doing a reading and listening to readings from poets and songs from local singers and prose readings from local authors. In Gilga and in Berla. And for me, that's just one of the great joys of living in West Belfast, that you're able to speak and listen to Gielga, and particularly with young people, because they use Gielga fluently and naturally. And the Wayans, I mean, the, the five and six and seven-year-olds, they're not a bit shy about correcting you or correcting me uh, when necessary. And I'm recording this in the office, and last Friday, scores of children, parents and staff from Galeskill and Lonan on the Falls Road at St. Old St. Finian School, the school that I went to, they held a very noisy and very joyful protest outside their school in support of La Moor Jarag. And we could hear them from in the office, and they were out campaigning or act Nagilga. And I'm sure that the march and the rally in Belfast for Act Nagilga and for the rights of Irish language speakers will be tremendous. It'll assemble at the Uncultured Land and then make its way to the City Hall. Uh, Alar and Kaharak, and there'll be family events and music and so on. And I think it just gives us such hope for the future, despite the fact that the rights of people, legislative rights of people to use our own language have been thwarted by both the Unionists and by the British government. But the growth of the language has been phenomenal and that's not least because of the growth of the Irish medium educational system. And despite all the efforts in the past to suppress the language by, by British governments and by old unionist regimes and the, and the indifference from successive Irish governments, the Irish language has gone from strength to strength across the island, and particularly in the north, and particularly here, as I've said, in West Belfast. And thousands of young Gaels have been educated every day through the medium of Irish. The British government committed to Act in 2006. That's 16 years ago. And they have refused, they have failed, they keep making promises. But let's not be surprised about any of that. Mr. Johnson won't be around Belfast during this big march and rally, but I would appeal to everyone, whether you're at the march or not, because this language of ours belongs to all of us, to support the rights of citizens, the right to respect and equality, and to Keep moving forward. Keep a glan awry. And in that tone, let's finish off with Sinead O'Connor and Oro 
And remember, use whatever Irish you have whenever you can. Now, be buraha, ma will say, Gilgabacht, Gilgabrista, just Dure. Slan live, Gunyurian ta, lives Take